Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vox Podcast. We still have a new name and a new website. It is coming. It's happening. <laughs> it is coming. Can you give us an update, Timothy? You met about the website. I did. Um, there's a guy, and he's making a website. Nice. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Cutting edge news. <laughs> um, until then, however, we're just going to keep plugging along as the old Vox yep. Podcast. Mike and Tim here. Uh, giving you salutations, benedictions, oh. uh, remunerations, just for uh, tuning in today. I want to thank very specifically Chris and Ty and Derek and Brittany for joining our Patreon crew. Um, so cool. It, it, I mean, every freaking week. It's amazing. So thank you uh, very much for your generosity. And if you want to join us or find out more, you can go to voxpodcast.com or vox. Uh, podcast with Mike Erie. You can type that into the Patreon search bar and um, find out more there. Uh, so thank you very much to to you. You can learn about Pearl Jam songs. Community. Yep. Um, so before we dive into, we're going to jump back. I mean, Shane, freaking Shane, just awesome. <laughs> we're going to dive back into the i don't know what it's been several episode series on kind of what the big story is of (laughs) the bible i was trying to tell someone last night what the series i have no idea what are you guys talking about tomorrow morning i was like well we're kind of doing this series and it's about like (laughs) it's about salvation faith heaven hell wrath judgment and is the good news better than we've been told and the answer so far is yes but that was a we've much got... better synopsis than the way I did it. <laughs> well, We're on a highway to hell, and yes. Um, and your your episode titles have been great. And by the way, there was there was much uh, saluting of the um, Tim Stafford track oh. uh, out there on the on the uh, interwebs. So I think anytime you want to throw some music on there, you just go for it, buddy. No one's this ever be the new focus of the podcast. Um, yes, yes. What is a G sus chord? That's what I want to know. Um, and, uh, and and does sus stand for suspect or suspended? I'm guessing suspended. It's suspect. Yeah. This song is in the key of G suspect. Yes, this is G and it's sus. Because when my son that, uses the word sus. That song actually is in G. Is it? I, I know. Yep. For God? Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> For God, girls are guns, and those are the best country songs, right there. <laughs> so um, we've got some great. Uh, so before we get to the topic, man, I we get so many emails and so many great questions, and so here are just a couple, and and we can't, you can't do them justice on email, because um, I mean the number of words it would take to type is ridiculous because these are such great questions, and we could do whole episodes based on these. But I feel like um, I, I want to read the ones that that fit into like the greater some of the greater themes we're exploring or seem to have a lot of relevance. So this is my friend Kristen. She she was in my college group back in the day. She's now some you're Uber. Lots of you're getting lots of callbacks lately. Oh, it's so great! It's so great. The fact that they're still willing to talk to me is fantastic. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but she's brilliant. She's got, I don't, she's got some advanced, she's a doctor of something. I mean, she's just incredible. And um, so she compliments us early, which is very nice. 
and, and this is about the mask episode. All right. So this was several episodes ago. We talked about wearing masks. And and she says, and I and I thought this was just so brilliant. This is who she is. Like this, this is, is the guy is. that worked at a church and was told he'd be fired if he yes. wore a mask to church. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this was this was yeah. We we were talking about just you know entitlements and yeah, um, surrendering privilege for the sake of others and those sorts of things. And and she said, <laughs> uh, she said, I'm I'm wrestling with how Christians are responding to the mask thing. Um, I've become increasingly curious about those who are holding up the shields of freedom and living without fear and not wearing masks under that banner. Mm -hmm. She says, while in some ways this appears to be the fruit of our Americanized gospel, I'm suspecting that in some cases it goes deeper. For example, I think of a friend who sincerely loves Jesus and holds these shields up, right? Not wearing a mask out of freedom or living without fear. Uh, she is single and very lonely, and I think masks um, feel further alienating and disconnecting when she so deeply needs to be seen and connected with. That's interesting. That is interesting. Exactly. That's that was like, ooh, that's so good, Kristen. Another example: a family uh, who kind of holds these shields up. They are also small business owners, and they may lose their livelihood and even their house as a result of the shutdowns and other restrictions. And yeah. so they're they're actually terrified of not terrified, that's too strong a word. But I but but they they're obviously very fearful that if this goes on for too long and the yeah. restrictions are in place for too long, um they they lose their entire life. And she said and and then and this is the great part, as I sit with these people and stories, I wonder what it would look like to be church to them. How do we hold them both in love and accountability? I like, <laughs> right? That's I like the, how your the million words dollar question. offer accountability. I wonder. So we, cause we were, we were talking about, hey, this is just love your neighbor. This is like one-on-one yeah. stuff. And she's like, okay, so there's the accountability piece, but I wonder what invitations could also be offered in love. And this yeah. is, I mean, this is, this is my friend, Kristen. This is awesome. Perhaps invitation to share their hearts help them dig deeper into their concerns, to grieve, to even heal or grow maturity in regard to the things being stirred up. In other words, places to let them explore what is behind the shields uh, in a community of love. I don't share this as any accusation about the episode. I loved it. I'm thinking out loud, wondering if there's a place for you to go further with this topic and model coming to the table together in love with those who believe differently within the church. Could some people be invited to write in or share in some other way? I don't know. I'm, t I'm not totally sure what it looks like to come to the table with those who believe differently. Literally just processing out loud. But I thought that was so great. Uh, yeah. So so you've identified the first step, which we were lacking, or I was at least, which is sensitivity to the possibility that there are other things at work than just claiming my rights in the Americanized individualistic gospel. So um, that's, so, so one of the, I, I'm, I'm starting, I'm just starting um, some work on hospitality. Uh, and I, I don't mean like Martha Stewart. I mean like biblical <laughs> hospitality. The Gombas got me onto a book uh, and it's, and it's like, oh, I don't know. It's, um, uh, it's got a cool title. I have to Google it now. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm Googling 
I'm Googling. <laughs> I'm Googling. Um, Googling. Saved by Faith and Hospitality is the mm. name of the book. Woo-hoo! And um, and and so one of the one of the first steps, obviously, of biblical hospitality is not demonizing the other or, or assuming motives that aren't necessarily true. So um, in the case that we were reacting to, I think we were okay in assigning motives because those motives were stated or at least implied by the actions. Yes. What we didn't do a good job of, and that Kristen is rightly pointing out, is the recognition that there are loads of other reasons why you would hold this position that we didn't kind of make room for. So I, that's why I wanted to read it because what a what a loving and gentle correction to say hey because hey, hey. self righteousness exists so many different places and right. it's so and, and it is the enemy of hospitality right hospitality is when I come kind of alongside someone in order to serve them um, yeah. self righteousness is where I stand above them in order to help them and um, so that has to be dismantled entirely. Now her question, like, how do you how do you make space? The church I have a part of in Tennessee is really interesting because they have they've lost people because of their mass policy, um, and they closed uh, a couple of times when they didn't need to. Um, but they have one service that is mask optional and one service that is mask required, and then they have an overflow room for the opposite. So in the service where masks are required, there's an overflow room where masks are optional. And then there's a, in the service where masks are optional, there's an overflow room where masks are required. And um, and I thought, okay, that sounded really like complicated, but it's actually worked. <laughs> it's actually worked pretty well. So I love that. I love that there's just acknowledgement on both sides of the issue. But I think we're onto something deeper here that Kristen is beginning to identify. Um, and, and that is how... How do we disciple ourselves and others to actually begin to see the world um, uh, as um, as as uh, I want to say as Jesus would see it, but that's you know way too cliche. But to see the world in terms <laughs> in terms of fellow image bearers who are uh, all in process. And, um, and uh, of which I am the greatest sinner sitting in the room. Like, how do we actually disciple people that way? And my only answer, my only answer is the church has to be built on something other than the teaching and worship bit. It has to be built on the Eucharist. It has to be built Absolutely. on the, ta- it has to be built on table fellowship. It has to be yeah. built on something other than your preferences. Cause if all we have in common are the fact that we like this person's teaching or the music here, yeah. that is not nearly enough to, to, to sustain engagement with people who feel passionately uh, uh, in another direction than I do. Yep. So, totally agree. so, so to me, hospitality is the thing and it's it's the only answer i have the idea of table fellowship the rest is commentary (laughs) right because i mean i mean and this this is this is how simple it is and and i lose it man i lose this plot all the time so when jesus says love your neighbor as yourself you know he's quoting from leviticus and the the admonition to love your neighbor as yourself isn't in the logic of the text, an admonition 
to love yourself. Like sometimes people will say, hey, so you right. have to love yourself before you know. This text assumes you love yourself. And, and remember, love in the Bible is an acceptance. Love is actually action. So how do yeah. I know you love yourself? Well, according to the logic of the text, um, when you're hungry, you take time and energy to arrange a meal for yourself. Yeah. When you're cold, you arrange for a blanket or the heat to be turned on, right? When you're yeah, naked, yep. you put clothes on. That's how you love Sometimes. yourself. Sometimes. Yeah, not always. Not always. There are beaches where <laughs> Olive Garden breadsticks, like, like myself, are welcome. Um, <laughs> I once... <laughs> My wife and I once did a couple's massage, and that was the image I had in my head. I'm just like, I, I, I was like, sir, if you were ever going to massage an Olive Garden breadstick, I mean, I, this has got to be what it's like. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just this big, uh, anyway, we don't need to talk about that anymore. But uh, what was I? Yeah. Uh, so, so I had no idea where that was going. Oh yeah, naked, right? So you, you, you naturally and without thinking, expend effort and money and resources and time right. to arrange for your needs. So, love yeah. your neighbor as yourself is when you look around <clears throat> the people in your life that you either know or don't know, who are enemies or others or neighbors or whatever. That if you see that they're hungry, you take the effort that you would have the same effort that you would use for yourself and use it on their behalf. And that you would yeah. take the same effort to clothe those who don't have clothes and the and to to provide shelter for those who don't have shelter. It's really, it's actually really simple. And there's nothing in there about approving, accepting, or being taken advantage of before you love them. There's nothing. Right. You don't have to like them. You don't have to approve of them. Who cares if you if they think you're condoning their sin? There's nothing in there. It is simply take the energy the same energy that you have for your needs and look out for the needs of other people period end of story correct correct so when you look at it that way <clears throat> the, the hospitality demands right that i am able to sit with mask wearers and mask haters with equal intensity and and vision towards their needs Right, even though I will have preferences and opinions, and some will say, "Well, hey, this is a matter of life and death." I mean, these people are killing people, and you know, da da da. da. And I, I, I understand all that, but the, but but we don't get off on um, on technicalities in the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's like it's just one of those things where um, the the church has to be so. So first of all, I, I think I'm doing a horrible job answering this question. First, <laughs> secondly. The breadstick comment totally, totally threw me for a loop. <laughs> Secondly, the fact that she even asked it shows she is further along the path than I. I love that because I wasn't even thinking or sensitive to that. So, amen. And that, and the repenting of the self-righteousness that I have in those situations has got to be the place to start because that kills, that absolutely and utterly kills the kind of hospitality that Kristen's talking about. Yeah. But there is a deep discipleship here. There's a deep unlearning that we have to do that is that that um that that is so countercultural to the divisions and labels and judgments in our world today. Um that that I don't know 
I, I don't know how to do it other than meal by meal, table by table, you know, bread and cup by bread and cup, saying it over it. and acting it over, over yep. and over and over and over and over and over and over. Go ahead, Tim. You yep. started. To, you started. We're chiming no, I think in. That's exactly. I think that has been the problem with the church or any organization that deals with humans. <laughs> True. Is that we try to plan everything out and we lose like the the moment by moment humanity of it. Yeah. And then when you get locked into a rail, it's hard to it's hard to get off that rail. It's hard to stop that train when it's moving. Totally. But a day by day, week by week, moment by moment thing with people and investing in them and loving them. The mask thing has been really hard because it's hard to engage with that mentality with people who are screaming about something. Yeah. It's really hard. I, I agree with her 100%. It's just, I'm just saying it's difficult to come alongside in peace with someone who's screaming. But I, but I think there are people who aren't screaming. Oh, totally. And those are the but people I think a lot of the reactions we have are the, to the people. Like to I, this, I yeah. don't want to have Tim's troubled times and rail on the pastor down the street over here. But <laughs> it's like, I, you know, the loudest voice in the room, it's hard to. Yeah. You know, and then even the guy that wrote in that prompted this whole conversation when he's, he, you know, he said something to the effect of how he was still praying and wanted to figure out how to come alongside the pastor who is threatening him with, and, you know, and that's an amazing posture to have in that situation. And I think that kind of embodies some of what she's talking about. Yeah. It's tough, man. Being a human is hard. Loving people is not the easiest thing in the world sometimes, but... No, and there are there are old creation dynamics, dynamics of this present age, um, and new creation dynamics. Um, <laughs> and the the temptation of the church, at least, okay, let me just say the temptation of Mike Erie, is to use old creation dynamics yeah, to try totally. to bring about new creation results. And it it just it does it doesn't work. That's a Needless book there. Right? All right. So, Kristen, man, so much more to say. Thank you. My answer is going to be hospitality and the discipleship around hospitality. And I don't even know what that means. I'm learning myself. Another question. This was brilliant. I mean, again, I mean, how, you know. I'm going to stand on one foot until you figure it out and let me know. And the rest is commentary. Um. So, so. This guy is being, the title is being a worship dude in church. So Timothy, this is relevant to you. I'm a part of a a small community church. I've been taking uh, on board, leading the worship crew. I have a specific question for you. How does one do this quote sermon on the Mount style? I love (laughs) that. How great is that question? Um, I've been a musician my whole life and involved in church music. Pretty nearly the same. There are so many tensions involved in the gig. I want to serve, but ego is unavoidable. Worship has become a commodity, and yet there are clearly some songs and movements that are touched by the Spirit. Leadership is a fine line between controlling outcomes and ensuring that the crew is playing and singing in such a way so as to make it possible for maximum participation uh, for all the other priests in the church, right? As in everybody else. I'd love to hear your thoughts and connections to new creation, cruciformity, moving with the spirit, anything else you'd like to say. How great is that? <laughs> I love that. Yep. Well, I wish I knew the answer. Oh, come on, worship guy. 
Well, I mean, I have been, I have not been doing worship for a while now again because of that, at that every that those questions, those questions yeah. are the exact reasons why I have started to step away from it again because I, the performative nature. So even when we were at that church in Orange County that we both were at, I was on the worship teams there, and I, I quit worship for, gosh. 10 years after I left that church yeah, because of, because of the performance nature of it, I got yeah. lost. I wasn't worshiping anymore. And that's not necessarily on the church. I just could, I got lost in the, I got yeah. lost in the noise and the performance of the whole thing. Yeah. And then the lyrics to a lot of modern worship songs to me are gibberish. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't understand what they're trying to say. They mix metaphors and they mix, um, scriptures to to make a different point like they'll take one line out of one scripture and one out of another and jam them together and make a weird i don't get it i don't understand it at all and i hate to be that person but i really don't and i and i think the performance nature of the lights and the fog and the the rocking back and forth and the stature (laughs) and everything like i i don't i'm not i'm not jiving with that anymore yeah there was one church i remember leading at where we led in the back of the church so no mm. one was facing us. So you could mm-hmm. just see the words and there was no performance aspect. Because he's right. Like, you want to play everything really well so that it doesn't distract. Like, everyone's got to know how to play the songs and everyone has to know how to improvise. Um, that was a big thing at that yeah. church we were at in Orange County, too, is that we had to be able to... There was the wheel of fifths in case they wanted to do a key change or they wanted to go into a song that we didn't have the chords for that we were all able to yeah. do that without losing the... But man, I don't know. I uh, it's just like you just said with the last question, the the um, sermon centric, performance centric, uh, show centric model. I don't think works anymore. Yeah. So I'm not sure what that means. I am. I have um, mostly been leading hymns and older songs lately because of the content and the stories that go with them. Mm-hmm. And have been avoiding anything that's been written in the last. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, 15 or 20 years. So you cut it off at Awesome God. Yep. And even that, like, I, I actually did lead the chorus of that off of something. But you remember the the words on the verse? Like, oh, when he rolls up his sleeves, he's just, just putting, putting on, on the, the Ritz. Ritz. Yeah. <laughs> That's There's insane. thunder in his thunder footsteps, and, his footsteps and, lightning and lightning in his, his fists. The Lord yeah. wasn't joking when he when kicked, he kicked him, him out of Eden. Eden. It wasn't for no reason that he shed his blood. The turn is yeah. very close, so you better be believing. Yeah. Um Yeah, not not the putting on the Ritz is definitely one of the <laughs> one of the lyrics that <laughs> certainly captures how awesome God is. Um sorry about that. Man, we've got Olive Garden detours and uh ninety CCM. So Oh boy. Well, Tim, if you're not willing to tread into this, I'm willing to tread into this because that's I'm an idiot. But um, and I don't know what it's like for worship leading. Uh, um, uh, I can speak for speaking and Sermon on the Mount. Oh my goodness! I mean, let's just let's just march through, right? We start with who was actually blessed, and so am I playing favorites? Am I? Are there people I'm looking out upon? And I, I see them as obstacles. Um, are they peop- the people that are just sitting there with their arms crossed and they're scowling? Do I, do I silently sort of look at them and go, ooh, you know, God needs to move you or whatever? Um, uh, am I, so you put am, on the Ritz? I put on the Ritz. You, you start putting on the Ritz? Sometimes with my fists, I put on the Ritz. 
And, um, and, and then you've got the whole like anger, contempt, glory seeking, like, um, um, I'm trying to manipulate people with my words. I, I feel like that's a, that's a thing in Christian circles, oh, yeah, um, where sure. we just kind of are thoughtless with our words and cliched with our words. Um, uh, you have this whole section in the sermon where true piety is private and that literally for worship leading and speaking, if, if your reward is popularity, then that's, that's the only reward that's, you shall have your reward. <laughs> so the, the cultivation of a, <clears throat> of a life that is off stage and so much more robust and important than off stage. Um, you know, and then you, then you have the idea of judgment and discernment and, Oh my Lord, to do this. So to do this Sermon on the Mount style, I can't speak for you, uh, my dear friend, but I can speak for me. And, and so here's what I'm learning. I'm definitely in process on this. So there are old creation dynamics at play uh, on a stage. Um, and it is possible, I think, to embrace new creation dynamics. But let's talk about old creation dynamics first. So old creation dynamics are things like glory seeking, um, elevating myself over others, um, uh, vanity, um, drawing attention to myself, um, covering my shame and hiding my wounds, operating in hypocrisy and secrecy, where I'm presenting one face to God's people and another face you know, that is my real one. Oh, that's something to explore too that I'm curious and interested oh, in. Oh, just just wait. Oh, just wait, my friend. Oh, just wait. <laughs> um uh when I evaluate a worship service according to according to old creation dynamics, I'm looking for things like did people respond? Did they like it? Were they moved? Yeah. Were they engaged? Right? And and mm -hmm. I think we would all agree those are exactly the wrong things to be looking at. Although it's so natural, we can't help ourselves. But to decide, oh, but but to be in a community that disciples us away from evaluating that way, right? And and, and standing and looking and saying, well, that was flat today, or that wasn't very good today. What an right. insult! Uh, you know what I mean? Like, so you're constantly looking for old creation dynamics, like, hey. Um, like one old creation dynamic for me was I would walk off the stage sometimes and I would, I would, I would immediately want to know how I did according to other people. And right. I would just be searching for validation or feedback, right? That's an old creation. And as my therapist would say, what I was doing there, and this is something I'm in the middle of learning is that I was covering my shame. I was using competency on a stage oh, yeah. and with a spiritual gift to cover my shame. Totally. Oh, and, and I was sitting there going, good Lord, because shame is this interesting thing I'm learning where you, you come into the world as your authentic self, right? And obviously, you know, we believe that there's a fallenness to that um, and a self-seeking and self-centeredness to, to humans but but that you're an authentic self in the sense that you haven't learned how to hide. You you you're born into <laughs> just being you. Yep. And then over the course of years, th things you get hurt and deeply wounded, and you realize you can't show up like you anymore because you're going to yeah. get mocked or excluded or beat up, bullied or abused. 
And so you develop a public self. And it's the, the yep. question of the public self is always asking, hey, how do I show up here in order to be accepted? Yep. And in Christian spaces, there's a definite answer to that. There's a, a very narrow answer to how I show up and be accepted. Yeah. So you combine that with a whole bunch of, of trauma and abuse and sin in my life. And, and you have you have the, the creation of a, a public self that is false and a private self that I'm truly ashamed of. Yeah. And, and the problem is when you're on the stage, you get to be heroic without actually being close to anybody. You can yep. be vulnerable without anybody knowing you. You can yep. be transparent without anyone actually uh, being close enough to you that they, they would know what's really going on. And so you get to be heroic and you get to be affirmed and all of those affirmations, what it does, all those affirmations come in and they actually solidify your, the, the view that I'm showing up the right way. My public self yeah. is being affirmed and, <clears throat> and here's the killer part. It's actually affirming that my private self can't show up here. Yeah. And then, but then that, that bleeds even subconsciously or unknowingly into the congregation like because that's oh. the, that becomes the standard yes uh, this is a whole this is a whole thing that i th we, i think we should do a whole long episode or conversation on because a like my wife is like the most brilliant teacher i've ever met and she has reconstructed through just re so much reading and so much research how to actually like engage students correctly Mm. And mm. Her, when she talks about how church should function from a teaching standpoint, I always find it so fascinating. Okay, well, let's because let's, it's a different way to engage. Like, let's bring her that, on. We should. We should. I mean, do if that. she listen, if she married you, we know two <laughs> things. Number one, she was looking for trouble, and number two, she got that. She found it. <laughs> the, the interesting thing: last time that I led worship, I stopped in the middle and I was trying to have a conversation with everybody about like worship is not a passive activity. It's an active thing. It's not passive. It's active. You have to engage in it. And mm -hmm. I th for some reason, I think that we get really lost. I think because of the performance nature and how explosive the music has gotten and stuff that we've kind of lost the plot with ascribing worth to God and like, really engaging in with what worship looked like in the Bible, like the way that people were posturing themselves before God. And now I just, I don't know. I yeah. just have a really hard time with, I'm also curious now too, and I don't think we have time to talk about this, but I'm as a question to throw out there, I'm really curious in the model of this new creation in the model of this narrative that, you know, you've been presenting for the last few episodes how that reframes worship like how should we be worshiping within that model i think is a really fascinating yeah. question because i i think it's i think we're off the mark and i'd love to figure out what that mark is awesome i think that'd be really fun um no i think that's that's it for me so so i've come up with tests to do to to pay attention to whether or not i'm operating under old creation or new creation dynamics um, because I, I've taught out of both and right. obviously want to grow into teaching from out of new creation dynamics where 
It's an offering of a gift uh, back to the Lord for the benefit of others. It's pouring out myself for the benefit of others. And as my therapist would say, it's, it's working to heal the wounds of others and not just my own wounds. Mm. Um, so, so things that I, I look for. Um, do, I, do I come off the stage and immediately need feedback? Uh, if I do, then I'm operating under old creation dynamics. Yeah. Um, do I, um, am I grateful? That's always the first question I ask too, when I finished leading worship, like I'll yeah. ask Sean how, or Ross, I mean, like, how did yeah. that sound? Was it okay? Da, 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 da. Yep. No. And there are times I, I do that. And then there are times when I literally walk down and don't even think about it. And those yeah. are the times I love because it's like, yeah. oh, I don't, I'm not caring right now. This is great. Um, the, the second dynamic uh, is how sensitive I, am I to criticism? Because mm-hmm. the reason criticism hurts is that it exposes the gap between your public and private self. Totally. That's why there's shame there. So, any, so shame turns out to be the biological and emotive response when people point out unknowingly the gap between my public and private self. Totally. That's really interesting. The biological and emotive response. Yeah, that was one thing I learned that gap. in therapy is that shame is a physiological phenomenon. Yeah. For That's, me, yeah. I, I will sweat when I'm really nervous. Like it is a physiological yeah. fluttering, sweating. Like I won't be able to look at somebody deep in the eyes. Like I'll, <laughs> I'll just float from convo to convo. Like, yep. I, I, yeah, it's a whole body thing. And, the, and the, their point was it's a whole body healing then. It's not, yeah, shame totally. is it, that makes you a lot don't, of sense. yeah, totally. All that is to say, um, so, so sensitivity, criticism, um, gratitude quotient. If, if I'm coming in just really grateful, uh, and not feeling pressure, those are, those are the best dynamics. Like, yeah, what's great. That is sounds it sounds really nice. <laughs> it just doesn't like, I'm not ner- like it used to be. And, and my wife will tell you, this was so hard in our marriage early is that my entire weekend was dominated by teaching. Yeah. So I had to, so Saturdays I was, everyone had to walk on eggshells because I was starting to gear up and I had to memorize it. Well, you I had probably to probably teach Saturday night too, right? Like yep. Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. But, but it wasn't even, let's say even there were just two services. I would, yeah. the, the emotional space would still be the same. Don't bother me. Totally. I'm not yeah. available to you. I'm not available to my family. I have to go be in this special space. Right. And prepare myself or I'm really angry. Right. Yeah, I feel very totally. infringed yeah. upon. And so new creation space is, well, I was out too late last night. Uh, uh, I, and there's a line here because I'm not saying, you know, don't care to the point where you don't prep. Right. I'm not saying that, <laughs> but I am saying like, I, like anger, how, how angry am I if my routine gets interrupted? Yeah. That's a huge one for me. Yeah. Uh, because that, that's a, that's a reflection of the pressure I feel to be good, which is a reflection of, of hiding, you know, and, and covering shame. Yeah. Um, the whole privacy versus secrecy thing we've talked about before. Um, and and then, and then the big one. So, so old creation dynamics run on a polish, excellence, strength, um, efficiency, control, new creation dynamics. 
are are things like invitation, weakness, humility, uh, slow to speak and quick to listen, um, uh, a desire that God increases and that I decrease, not in some false way, but like in this, like yeah. we just, you know, um, we don't we don't want people walking away saying, "Man, that was a great worship service." We want people walking away going, "God, is Jesus, a, yeah, Jesus, is amazing." Yeah. And, uh, and of course there's, yeah, there, of course there's ego. Of course, God, I don't think ego is always a bad thing uh, at all, but for me, because there, there's this great ego wound and there's an ego monster created out of that. Um, there are times when I'm teaching where I, I feel myself operating out of old creation, like this present age dynamics trying to be impressive and big and strong and funny. And, and you can just tell, you can be around teachers quickly and find out what they trust. Are they trusting in the text to do the work? Are they trusting in their charisma, in their cadence, in their preparation, in their wisdom, in the, in their cute stories? You know, you can find out really quickly. What, what do they trust to do the work in the service? And, um, and I would imagine that's true with, you know, worship leading as well. I mean, you, you can always, you know, the songs that are going to get a big response and everyone's going to go like, Oh yeah, the spirit was here. And I just want to be the person that goes maybe, or maybe we just had emotional moment together that felt really good. You know? Yeah. Music is amazing. And it can, I I could, I mean, that was, that was a thing at that, that old church that I knew when the buildups and the breakdown breakdowns would happen before they did. And I knew the response that people would have. And I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't. Yeah. It felt manufactured. Because music is, it did. And music is amazing. They can do that. It'll, it's a bunch of waves that will ebb and flow and take you up and down. But yeah, doing the hard work of trying to posture yourself at the feet of Jesus and really focus. And that's a whole different animal. So I think. So to our friend who is worship leading dude, they're just a whole bunch of barf. There's a whole bunch of barf. Hopefully it's helpful. <laughs> I mean, we don't I, we don't prep for these questions. We just show up and are like, hey, this is a great question. So yeah, I love that. I think that the fact that he is asking this question. Beyond where I was. Find, yeah, he's going to find the answer. Yeah, and you've that's already. Exciting. Yes. It's like Kristen. By asking the question, you've already revealed part of the part of the. Yeah, answer. you're facing in the direction that's going to find what this new new version is or whatever yeah. and i think that's yeah. i'd love to hear what that is if you if you crack the code <laughs> oh oh it's hospitality no but so much of my th- <laughs> so much of my therapeutic work has been how do you integrate stage self into the larger self that that is small petty dumb lame you know what all the things how do you integrate that whole package together in yeah. a way that allows the gift to be expressed, but there's not a motive or um, performative elements attached. And it, and it, and and it's getting there. There's some days. Some days I'm really in touch with that. Others days I'm not. But what I don't do when I'm not in touch is shame myself for that. Yeah. I just say, oh, here's okay. Here's what I'm doing. And, and there are practices that I, I try to implement, you know, that to resist the, um, the part of that. But anyway, all that is to say, 
Um, really, I mean, and, and man, again, I mean, we're 40 minutes in and we haven't got to the stuff, but those are such good freaking questions. Yeah, that's good stuff. All right, Timothy, let's talk about sin. <laughs> Transition. Yes. So here, let me just lead with the big point I want to make. And I've made this in a couple of different episodes, but, but I just, I have to, Timothy, remake the point. All right. And, um, and so let's just, let's just go through the beginnings of the gospels just real quick. All right. So here, here's the first sentence of Matthew. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, Old Testament word, the son of David, Old Testament character, the son of Abraham, Old Testament character. And then there's the genealogy of three sets of 14, which is very stylized and um, theological in nature. He's skipping and including for all sorts of theological purposes. That's how Matthew starts. All right, let's go to Mark. Here's Mark, the beginning. So here's a Genesis reference. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, Old Testament reference, the Son of God, Old Testament reference, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Old Testament quote. Okay? Let's go to the book of Luke. Right? Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things fulfilled. And then Luke has this great thing to Theophilus that's totally worth, totally worth reading. All right? But then he immediately dives into the birth of John the Baptist and then frames John the Baptist um, in this incredibly epic, like three song saga that's nothing but Old Testament quotations and allusions and references. And then, then you get the birth of Jesus followed by um, a, uh, another genealogy. All right, so Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament. And then John, of course, in the beginning was the Word, right? We're redoing Genesis. The Word was God, yeah. the Word was with God, all right? Then you get, like, even to Romans. Let's take Romans, because that's such an abused book. Um, uh, here's, here's Romans, all right? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets... In the Holy Scriptures, regarding his son, Jesus, of course, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So what you have in all of these instances is, hey, here's the gospel, and then here is the Old Testament story summarized. Right? You cannot... So, the, what they're saying is you cannot preach the gospel without the Old Testament. All right? Which I think is, like, one of the biggest points in the history of the planet. Right? You cannot just pick up <laughs> Romans and go to Romans 3. That doesn't start the gospel. Yeah. Right? The gospel was the scriptures promised beforehand someone from the line of David. That's yeah. the start of the gospel. Right? Son of David, son of Abraham, the beginning, I mean, all of this. So you, so this, this the conception of the good news that doesn't include the Old Testament, that's not gospeling. That's not gospeling at all, all right? So yeah. so let's just start there. And, and that's the big point we've been trying to make, right? The big story of the Bible doesn't cut off the Old Testament and begin the story right. with sin and Jesus. 
Yeah. Right? The big story of the Bible is about the creation of heaven and earth and humans and their place in it. All right? So that's that's where we've got to start. And, and this, and again, this, this is so unbelievably important. It works out in our sexual ethics. It works out um, in... Um, uh, how we understand the role of of like nation state versus the role of church. I mean, we don't start the story in Genesis three or in Romans, right? We start it Genesis one and two, and it, it echoes throughout the 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 whole scriptural narrative until Revelation twenty one and twenty two. So we've been trying to tell the big story of heaven and earth, not heaven and hell, and about my individual judgment and destiny. Uh, there are parts of that old story that are true, like we've said. But it's not the full story. Um, it also speaks to the idea of what are we saved to and what are we saved from. In the yeah. old conception of the story, the problem is my individual guilt before God. That's yeah. the problem the Bible is solving. The problem with that conception is the Bible. Because if you read the Old Testament, right? Just read it. Don't take my word for this. This is the biggest point I want to leave you with. Right? You can stop now. Don't, but you could. Stop now at this point. <laughs> Read the Old Testament and ask yourself, is the Old Testament trying to answer the question, what do we do about people going to hell? And how do we get right. them into heaven? Right, We've made this point before, but I'm telling you, my friends, just read the, old, read the whole freaking thing. There is yeah. nothing in there. Not a thing in there. Now, obviously, there's sin, and there's guilt, and there's offering, and there's atonement, and there's all sorts of things. But what are those things doing? See, we read yeah. Romans back into them, uh, right. or Hebrews, perhaps. And, and, and certainly, certainly there, are, there, there are things that are pulled forward. There's no question about wrath and sin and judgment. Of course, of course, of course. I'm trying to make the, the really bigger point, though, that the gospel starts in the Old Testament and has to include right? The stories that Jesus was immersed in and came to fulfill. But secondly, the, the primary question that you're left hanging with uh, at the end of the Old Testament isn't, how do we get people into heaven? How do we get all these damned people that God hates into heaven? Yeah. Um, and if you don't believe me, just freaking read it. Just read it. Don't listen to this anymore. Pick up the damn thing and read it. And then read the beginnings of all the gospel accounts. There, yeah. And there's nothing in there about trying to get us to heaven. So if that's not what the Old Testament ends on, what does the Old Testament end on? And here, my friend, we go. All <laughs> right. Leon. Yes. Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, so, so this is going to be overly simplified and way too brief because we're at 47 minutes. Yeah. Right? But... It will give us it will give us tracks to run on because we got about three more episodes at least at least as oh. I count that are dealing with wrath and sin and judgment and all of these things. Um, <laughs> it, and 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 believe me, I like I I want to be biblically faithful. So when the Bible uses words like wrath yeah. and um, and atonement, I and and like expiation and propitiation. I mean, I I want to have a framework out of which all of those things hang and make sense. And all yeah. I'm trying to argue is that the, the framework I was handed uh, is too small, and it's too small to the point where it has to, has to do violence to other texts. 
like a lot of other texts. And, yeah. and I and and I think and again I mean who am I I'm just channeling people smarter than me I'm not you know sitting in a room with my Bible translating from Hebrew coming up with this myself um, <laughs> Wait what I know um, the, but there's a but there like as I as I as I hear and learn and I go back to the text and I'm just like this is right this is not answering the heaven and hell question at all. Yeah. And if Jesus is coming and, and all of the gospels instantly point backward, right? The first thing they tell you is this is part of a bigger story. And that bigger story isn't primarily concerned with getting people into heaven yeah. or people avoiding hell. Then we've got, you know, we've, we've, we've like missed a couple of turns along the way. See, this is the same thing with the worship thing. That what I was trying to articulate is that the songs, like they'll do this, like the Dan Kimball's uh, for rules or whatever that we talked about at the beginning of his book and one of them was you know don't read a single don't read a verse by itself yeah we do the same thing with worship where we sing about a specific thing that's often out of context but it emotionally does something to set us yeah. up for a way we want to feel at church totally and it's just so weird do you mean that heaven and earth is not going to meet like a sloppy wet kiss tim <laughs> first of all let me just say sloppy wet kisses are awesome but I would expect more from the crashing of heaven and earth at the end of the age. Yeah. I'm just going to throw that it's out there. So, yeah. Yep. Okay. Clearly, Tim, you got more to say on this topic, but I'm pushing forward. No, go for it. Sorry. No, no dude. Never, never say sorry. You add so much to this to the ramblings. Yeah, that's what I. That's what I offer. Ramblings. Oh no, to the ramblings. All right. So. What is the Old Testament? What is the problem the Old Testament is addressing? Well, let's just march through a little bit. Now, again, there's more nuance, and I'm oversimplifying, all right? But Genesis 1, um, God is creating a temple. Um, and that temple, so the creation story subverts other creation stories, but it's filled with temple imagery and language and uh, and 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 read John Walton. John Walton's got a whole bunch of stuff on this that is just mind blowing. So does uh, Beal Gregory Beal B E A L E, uh, the Temple and the Church's Mission. So so you just have Eden was this garden in the temple of the heaven and earth temple. All right, where Yahweh would reside with His creations, yeah. and they and, and they were to be images, image bearers, and the image bearing consisted in their capacities to rule. And we talked about this a ton. I know we've talked about it, but it's so important here. They were given a royal vocation with kingly words and priestly words, right? So, so in Genesis, in Genesis one, they were to rule, they were to take care of, uh, they were to subdue the earth. They were to fill it. God had just filled and they were invited to fill. God had just ruled and they were invited to rule. God had just subdued the waters and they were they were invited to take the borders of Eden and God's order of flourishing and then just spread that throughout the rest of the earth. They were not the only people on the earth, right? They, they This was not like the first people. This was like the archetype people that, that were the temple image bearers and given a commission to expand the borders of Eden throughout the whole earth. Now, again, yeah. I know that raises tons of questions. We can talk about those later. But they were given royal vocations. This becomes really clear in chapter 2 
where um, the human, um, not the man, not the gendered male, but the human, Adam isn't a proper name until later in the story. So the Adam, the human being, was told to, to work the earth and take care of it. And those are temple words that were used in numbers uh, about priestly work in the temple and the tabernacle. And so, so you have an image, and again, we could do all the exegetical work on this, but it, it's fascinating. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. But what you have in Genesis is uh, the, the creator who uh, deputizes images that would have been found in other temples, not only as expressions of his sovereign rule, but as co-regents of that rule. That literally God's kingship was manifested in the world through the humans. Yeah. That, that, that they were to reflect God's goodness into the world and they were reflect the, the, the praises of the world back to the creator, right? So worship yeah. was the word that was used for this. I mean, you talk about, there it is. That's what worship yep. is. Yep. So, so what, what happened in Genesis 3 is that there was this cosmic rupture where the humans, instead of trusting uh, the creator's definition of good and evil, um, they chose for themselves to become like God. Uh, this bit of chaos from outside the garden, the serpent, comes and tempts them. And then what happens is that there's this inversion where instead of worshiping the creator, we have now yielded authority to the creation. Right. Um, and, and that's what Paul, Paul diagnoses in Romans. The problem with we worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Amen. Right? right. Instead of guarding the garden and expanding the garden, promoting shalom, there, there was some sort of yielding of our power and trust and authority. And, and that vocation then becomes interrupted, all right? That be the, and, and immediately you see this in Genesis 3 through 11. Everything's tarnished. You see it in the first murder. You see it when they build the city. You see it in the cosmic realm. Now, we'll talk about this either next week or the week after. This Genesis 6 Nephilim thing, that's the cosmic rebellion. That's, that's, that's Paul is going to construe the good news of the gospel not just an individualistic like god saves people but god defeats the powers and authorities and this is where we begin to meet the powers and authorities that christ will defeat so so we don't have time to get into it right now but my goodness so there's a rebellion in the earthly realm there's a rebellion in the heavenly realm and as a result, the order that was to promote flourishing for all involved has now been ruptured. And we live in this state of disorder and chaos where powers have been unleashed within creation. Why are you smiling at me like this? I just, I, I well, because I'm just so, I'm so, I brought this up to you after last episode. I was just like, hey, this stuff's so interesting. And I'm, you know, I, my brain's constantly turning throughout the week now. Um there's so much uh, like tangible technical technicality to everything that we've been doing with the new creation stuff. What about the divine council or the spiritual element of everything? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, we're going there. But I'm just yeah, so, yeah. I think I'm yeah, so next, interested to in how this plays through that. Yes. Next week, I, I think maybe next week or the, the week after we'll, we'll hit it. But it's important. It's an important thread because yeah. when Paul gets a hold of the gospel, the gospel isn't just answering the question, that we're going to outline, but it's also answering right. the question, what do we do about the cosmic powers? Yeah. 
so um so that's a thread too and again i wish we could just do all of these in an eight-hour lecture so we can show how they fit together but (laughs) anyway there is a word that is used um in the bible that is a word that is best translated failure to accomplish a purpose and that word is sin it, it it's well known at least if you've been in evangelical circles that sin um is a word that means to miss the mark but it's it's used like of archers who are aiming at a target and they're so good they don't sin they don't miss the target sin is a deeper word than just made a mistake sin is i failed to accomplish the purpose that i had intended okay it's a failure of vocation it's a failure of i failed to achieve that goal that i was purposing okay that's a really this is a this is a really big point and um in Israel's scriptures to sin really is to fail and to to fail to fulfill a purpose so we hear the word sin and we think well there's this finicky god and he just gets pissed because he said not to sleep around and i slept around and now i'm just damned um sin sin is way 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 bigger than that all right um the, one of the, the, the scripture, one of the diagnoses that scripture gives to the human condition is that we have sinned. We have failed to be fully human. We have failed yeah. in the vocation that we were given. And that vocation, by the way, was to be fully human, right? We are dehumanized because of sin to be yeah. fully human. Salvation is to be fully human and to be fully human meant to image God in all of his goodness and benevolence and wisdom and glory into creation and to take the praises of creation, declaring the glory of God and bring those back to God. That was the vocation for which we were intended, kingly and priestly work. And that is the vocation that humanity has failed in. So Genesis 3 through 11 is the failure of cosmic and human rulers to rule in a way that brought forth shalom. Instead, it brings forth violence. I mean, and God is grieved to the point where he uncreates, uh, right in the flood. But, but the Genesis narrative, that pre, that, that kind of prehistory ends with the tower of of Babel, the beginning of Babylon, the, the human counter kingdom to the heavenly Jerusalem, if you will, the human monument to its own self conceit, right to its own, like that is what it looks like to grab hold of the, of the tree of good and evil. It is, it is to, it is to try to be like God. (coughs) All right. So sin there isn't, Hey, these people were mean to each other and cut cut each other off in traffic. No, no. The human project has failed for the vocation. The human beings were created for. Okay. (laughs) Answer. uh, Yeah. Yes, sorry. Okay. I'm like I'm trying to take either the two questions and everything and pushing it through this. So yes. my brain's like recalculating everything right now. So I'm right are, now I'm thinking about being born into sin and what that means under this idea. Like So so our moral condition, Timothy, is much more serious than having just broken some laws. Right. 
right? Like when someone just reads the Ten Commandments and it says like, well, you know, have you ever lusted? Well, then you've committed adultery. You're guilty before God. This is not about human guilt before God. This is the failure of the project for which human beings were created, right? We've turned our vocation upside down. And the the issue is none of my sin, um, none of our sin is individual. None of it. It's all communal. It all ripples. An angry father creates a certain kind of child, and that child then creates another kind of child. And on throughout the the grand sweep of human history, it goes. And then you add, and we'll talk, this is the, the powers bit. We've unleashed these forces that are now at work in God's good world that weren't there originally. Yeah. That's the the so powers, powers of sin and death. So, so I am a failed human being individually, but we are a failed human beings collectively, right? The project for which we were created, um, uh, we have failed to achieve. And, you know, you don't have to look far at all. <laughs> We've created this sticky human web of oppression and exploitation and oh, destruction. Totally. I mean, it's just carnage, right? So what does God do in response? He calls a man, Abram, and calls him to Canaan, which is going to be a new Eden. And what does he give him to do? The same kind of work, right? So he turns Abram into the nation Israel, and then he gives them marching orders. He says to them, "Um, you will be for me, a holy possession, a royal priesthood, right? And you will you will be a royal nation, a holy priesthood. You will um, take up the Adam and Eve vocation again, this time within a fallen world. So there are all sorts of accommodations to fallenness, like Mackie has said, right? Now there's Torah, right? Because of fallenness. Now there's sacrifices because of fallenness. Right, so now in, we've taken the Adam and Eve vocation, and now we've transferred it onto a nation. Yeah. Okay. Do you see that? Yes. So important to understand. In Exodus, they get their marching orders, and then in Deuteronomy, it's all over the place. You were to be a light to the nations. Right. You're take. You're you're to promote shalom, and then spread that order of flourishing to the rest of the nations. Okay. Then you get to like David. The, the pinnacle of the monarchy, right? Romans mentions David. And David gets this epic promise. I'm going to put someone on your throne forever. Um, and that just means from your line, someone will rule over Israel forever. And, and yet then David, what's David do, right? I mean, he totally falls apart. He fails as a king. And then, his, then the failure gets so egregious, the civil war. And ultimately, yeah. The, yeah. The, king, the kings of Israel lead Israel into exile. Right? And, and and when you read like Ezekiel's critique, it's all about they failed to be a light to the nations. They've mocked they instead of being countercultural, they actually are like the nations. Yeah. Right? And and there's a deep there's a deep thing here that's going on with the powers and principalities too. The powers of the nations have have tempted Israel into idolatry. Yeah. And so there's so so the que- the Old Testament ends with Yahweh leaving his temple. And promising to return. Right. With Israel having come back to the land, but still in exile um, <laughs> in a very real way. And the Old Testament closes 
with this question. When will Yahweh return and restore Israel to her original vocation for the flourishing of the nations? Yeah. That's the problem, right? That, that was on the lips of, of the writers of the Old Testament in its post-exilic form, yep. right? When will Yahweh come? And they called that space resurrection. This is what the Pharisees hoped for. The Pharisees, when it says the Pharisees hoped in the resurrection, resurrection wasn't just life after death. Resurrection was the whole end of time program where God dismantles this present evil age, vindicates Israel in the sight of her enemies, deals with the Romans and Israel's enemies once and for all, resurrects the righteous, pours out resurrection spirit life over creation, right? That whole thing was called resurrection for the Pharisees. All right. That yeah. was the hope. That was their hope. That was what they worked for day and night. Yeah. So that my friend is what, um, the old Testament closes on when, when will that happen? When will Yahweh return and restore his people? Yeah. And restore them to what? Yeah. Yep. See, that's the key. Yep. To restore them to what? To their original vocation. Yeah. Because sin is a failure. It's bigger than what we normally think of. It's a failure of vocation. That, of course, includes anger, contempt, lust, greed, all of those things. And is the vocation in general, if we're trying, if <clears throat> God's intent was heaven and earth mm -hmm. and this overlap, is that the vocation, we're trying to get back to this new creation making all things new yeah yeah is that the light of that's the light that we that's because i wrote down like all this is so interesting what is ministry in new creation okay okay so good so good don't go there yet okay but, but keep that question i mean we're an hour and five minutes i'm sorry this is so yeah. long <laughs> but it redefines everything in a really interesting way and i and this vocation of trying to that god had this model We've failed to meet that mark, and we're trying to like reconnect these things, and that's right. the vocation of what right. God keeps tasking His people with. Right. And and so I, Jesus, yeah. so so, and we we could spend loads of time on this if we get questions, we can. Jesus steps in front of the freight train of human history, with all yeah. of its dynamics of 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 rebellion and murder and anger, and abuse, and oppression, and exploitation, uh, all of it. He stands in front of it and lets it consume him. And in so doing, according to the New Testament, he opens up new creation space. Huh. Okay, in the polluted world, picture, picture the, the world, just picture us like, like uh, the worst pollution you can imagine. Yeah. And picture a small sphere of fresh air within that larger world. Yeah. Jesus has opened up, and, and again, we'll get to this when we get to the powers. He has condemned this present evil age. He has triumphed over the powers. He has brought about the forgiveness of sin and opened up through the spirit, the restoration of humanity to its original vocation. Okay. And okay, and so so here are the ways like this is this is ways the old or the New Testament describes this, right? God made us alive with Christ. 
That's what he did on the cross. He made us alive when we were dead. Because, because what's death? Is death just the arbitrary thing? No, no. Death is the pow- one of the rulers and one of the old creation dynamics that work in this present evil age. Uh, this is Colossians. For God rescued us from the dominion, the kingdom of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Um, God was pleased to, through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Um, I, this, this is the best. The, this is the in, most incredible passage. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us our sins. Now, again, what's forgiveness of sins mean here? Yeah. Right? What does it mean? Yes. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Ooh, now I always thought that was the list of things we've done wrong. Right. Which stood against us and condemned us and having taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. Or in Galatians. Uh, he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. All right. So, so what he see what he's doing there? It's way bigger than just forgiving my moral transgressions. Jesus, Jesus has opened up space called the forgiveness of sins. Right, and that space is new creation space. So, like yeah. guys like N.T. Wright will argue. New creation, forgiveness of sins, life in the spirit, those are all saying the same thing. They're all referring to the same thing. When Paul talks about flesh and spirit, flesh is old creation, spirit's new creation, right? They're all referring to this present age, the age to come. Resurrection, right? All of that's referring to the same thing. This new creation space opened up by the death and resurrection of Jesus. All right? And, And there human beings are returned to their original vocation. So Peter will say, like, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you are like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Like, this is straight from Exodus, right? That same vocation is now given back we're given the ministry of reconciliation where salt and light in the words of jesus like like his disciples jewish or gentile are now restored to their original vocation and when you get glimpses of this in revelation five different times we are told human beings will reign with god forever and ever we will rule with god forever and ever and ever and ever and then in Jesus' apocalyptic language, he talks about the 12 sitting on 12 thrones. And I mean, there's just all of this kingly worship language now applied to disciples of Jesus who sit in the new creation space. <sighs> so, what are we saved from? And what are we saved to? We are saved from the pollution and the dynamics of wrath and death and old creation in order to be brought into new creation to become fully human and take up the original purpose for which we were created. That purpose is now and not yet. That purpose Mm -hmm. is here and in new creation. We live at the intersection of the two ages. So Paul is constantly warning us against old creation dynamics 
and to put on new creation dynamics, right? What are old creation dynamics? Simple. Uh, exclusion, malice, wrath, gossip, greed, lust. Those are all, those are old creation dynamics that are all doomed to be destroyed, according to Paul. And when we engage in them, they put us at risk to be destroyed along with them. Yeah. Because none of those dynamics, see, and this is, this is a Gombas thing, but this is, this is absolutely right. Sin, sin is its own punishment. Yeah. Because sin is self-consumptive. Sin consumes itself. That's what lust does, right? The reason I care about pornography um, is not only that it's participating in the exploitation of of women globally, and not Mm. only because it is is the violation of uh, marital vows and, I mean, just every Mago day, like every big theological category, But, but lust itself consumes. Yeah. Like it, I mean, it just does. We call it yeah. addiction or compulsion. That's, that's what it is. Like, like greed, it's consumptive pride, consumptive. It's never enough. It always yep. wants more. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, it always demands. And, um, and that's, that's what it means for something like to become an idol is you become, you, you begin to sacrifice on the altar of that thing to get more of totally. that thing, which doesn't satisfy you. So you need more of that thing, which. And we give it, you know, and so, yep. so when God warns us away from sin, it, it, it's not like He's up there saying, "Hey, you sons of bitches, would you stop fooling around?" Right? He's like, "No, there are dynamics at play with anger that leave you open to the powers and principalities and the dynamics of wrath." Oof. Right? Right? Yeah. Or like, why does he talk so much about gossip and slander? Because those are old creation dynamics that will consume a church. Yeah. These are self-consumptive. And so in Gombas's view, sin destroys itself. It's, it's its own fuel and will ultimately exhaust itself. And then God will just simply take every bit of old creation dynamic and, um, and it will... And, and which is interesting because then you you get images like a lake of fire, which is, which is self-consumptive, right? Forever. Um, right. I mean, you, it's like, yeah. oh, there's yeah. something, there's something here. So, so the big, the big things for me are things like this. Um, what is, what, is, what are we saved from? We're saved from the, the old creation dynamics that have been unleashed by and furthered by human rebellion in partnership with the cosmic principalities and powers yeah. that consume, exploit, oppress systems of domination and violence that we are naturally born into and find, find ourselves thinking of as common sense. Well, yep. of course I have to get back at somebody. Of course yep. I have to respond in anger. Of course I have to stand up for myself. Part of what the powers do is they invite us into systems of acting and thinking that we call normal or just yeah. being human. What do we save to? We're saved to Jesus and union with him and into the new creation space that he has opened up, which allows us to become more fully human. Yeah. In taking up the original vocation. Right? So sin and salvation 
yes, there there is a hell element because old creation will be destroyed. It is passing away. It will be done away with. Absolutely. And there's a heaven aspect in the sense of um the 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 realm that is God's space will join with our space in ways that overlapped and reflect, you know, Genesis 1 and 2. That God's temple will be restored on the earth and that we will yeah. take up our vocation. Ay ay ay. And so what do we do in the meantime? Well, the first thing is that I am constantly repenting of old creation dynamics that I find totally natural and normal yeah. that are called flesh, that are called this present darkness, that are called <laughs> this present evil age, right? I'm repenting of those constantly excluding and punishing and, and jealousy and, and, um, uh, and selfishness, right? All of those. And the reason I'm repenting for those uh, of those first is that they're all self-consumptive. You know, when, when, when Jesus says, like, the, the broad gate leads to destruction, well, it actually does. Yeah. Right? Unless you wage war against greed, it will consume you. Totally. I can't, I'm just I'm, I'm picturing dogs that chase their own tails and even get their tails, but they keep spinning in that circle, chewing on their tail. Right. You know what I mean? And you're just like, you want them... I just see all of us like that outside of the gates and we're right. trying to get back to this Eden or whatever, but we, we are cons like those things are consumptive. Like we will sit outside the gate chewing on ourselves Yeah. At, out of whatever you want to call it, if it's ignorance or whatever. But a lot of what being that light is, is doing what you're saying getting out of the self-consumptive old creation like habits or the way we live in these destructive ways. I'm just, I'm, tr I'm trying to process everything from my entire life. <laughs> but a well, lot of that rhetoric of like the God hates you and um, stuff that we've talked about before, right? Some of the, the old way of teaching that people would just, right. and it's just like not even necessarily wrong it's just like a whole they're just talking about a whole different conversation like right. it's not even like yeah my so, brain feels mushy no me too me too me too and, I, and i'm still you know i i mean so so big point number one uh the gospel includes the the story the old testament is telling yes big point number two the the story the old testament is telling isn't about heaven and hell Yes. Point number three, the story the Old Testament is telling is about Yahweh coming back to Israel and restoring Israel to its original vocation. Yes. Point number four, that's what Jesus does. Yes. That's what he does. He yeah. returns and then, to and the, the temple. First fruit, yeah, the first fruit of the new creation that Yahweh is working to reestablish and gave us a vocation to work towards. Yep. God walking in the garden at night where we... Yep. Are. And yep. how does that and how does that how is that accomplished through the gift of the spirit? Okay. That's where the, so so there is a there has to be a robust <laughs> um theology of the Holy Spirit here because that's how new creation is implanted. And so that's how we're united with Jesus in new creation and that is how we learn in partnership. 
is that according to the scripture, and again, not according to our experience, because for many of us, the Holy Spirit is either speaking in tongues or completely silent or weird and wacky or casting out demons or whatever, or it's just not even a thought. But the Spirit guides us in new creation life. Yeah. Uh, Paul conceives of the Spirit as the down payment of new creation, but also the enabler, um, the... uh, um, the ability we have to, in partnership with Jesus, to inhabit new creation space and adopt a new creation posture. And this is okay. This is helping me with the problem of evil, and that, I think that's a longer tangent. But it's 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 helping me with that idea. I think like defining what evil is. Um, our our imagination of what what is evil, I think, is. Hmm. become just a really simple uh, dot. Hmm. And it seems like it's a little bit more um, nuanced and not not just like the sinister like eh, thing, you know, the pointy ears and the tail and the pitchfork and this like diabolical, but yeah. that there's, it's more, it's way more disruptive. And so it's it's interesting because it, for me, the problem of evil is less about God allowing this like, nefarious character but more how it it helps to reframe our vocation i guess and then the way you're defining sin in that missing the mark and missing the our purpose i, I don't know if i'm making sense i'm trying to process yeah, yeah, through yeah. All this as i'm going but i think yeah, the yeah, problem yeah. of evil makes way more sense or i i i feel more comfortable than i have before with it well you can't I don't think you can conceive of a biblical story this way and then look at the world and say, well, it's exactly the way God wanted it. Right. Like God's but, will is being makes, done. But the self-consumptive nature of the, those, like, like I think lust was a great example and, and greed obviously works in the same way. Like you just, it, it consumes you. Yeah. Um, and then just takes you off that path towards new crea- the reestablishment of heaven and earth. It just makes sense, right? Like yeah. It's, yeah. It makes sense to make us, for us, to, for that to be the way that we fail makes perfect sense. Totally. And and if you and were... Then, but trying to pull us back to what we were supposed to do makes sense right. within the problem of evil conversation because it's, I don't know. It, yeah. I'm processing no. it all in real time, but it, it makes a lot more sense. Yes. <laughs> and And so... No, I think I think it does, and and so so here's, and I know it raises a zillion questions. So we'll end with a couple of this because it's holy cow, an hour twenty two. Um, first, if you want to read more about this, check out um, the day the revolution began by N.T. Wright. He's done a lot of work on uh, the vocation of humans, but he relies a lot on John Walton. So John Walton has done a lot of work on the Genesis you know, peace to that. The day the revolution began though, is Wright's attempt to, um, and I borrow from him in the definition of sin, the, the heaven and earth stuff, he certainly has popularized, but that's, that's been out there for a long time. Cause it's obviously in the Bible. <laughs> um, if you, uh, it, it, I mean, just read the book of Mark. Just read the book of Mark and start, just ask, what, 
what is Jesus doing? Like, what's he answering? What's he wrestling with? Who's he talking somebody to? Just like, put out a, somebody just put out a commentary on Mark. Yeah, freaking Gombus. I'm halfway through it. Um, and he's so fun. You can hear him. Now that we've heard him talk so much, I can hear him when I read it. <laughs> In his writing. Totally. Yes. The cosmos. Um, it's cosmos. Come on. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but like, just pick up the book of Mark and ask yourself, what G, what's, what's Jesus doing? Like somebody emailed in and said, hey, I can't believe like the parables are really about Israel. Well, what else would they be about? He's yeah. actually, I mean, Mark has this section where he literally warns. We take it to mean the second coming. He's literally warning the Jews within a generation, an army is going to come and encircle the city. And that it's good not to be there when that happens. And it'd be horrible to be pregnant when that happens. Like, he's literally talking about this in response to the questions about how great the temple is. Right? I mean, he, he is... He is he is inviting Israel to pick up its mantle. Yeah. That's what he's doing. And then following him is following him in that project. Yeah. The project and has it, not changed. Yeah. And then thinking about repentance as this like turning away from consumptive. Yes. Things. So all the stuff. towards moving towards new creation. Yeah. It, so we're not denying no. sin exists. Of course it does. No. But it's presented as the as the arbitrary bitterness of some fickle God when we're saying, no, no, it's like when the electrician comes to your house. It's like, hey, this is a live wire. You may not want to touch it. Yeah. Right? Is that restrictive or is that wisdom? Right? <laughs> right? So can don't, sex... Don't restrict my freedoms. Exactly. If I want to touch the wire, I will I touch, touch the it. wire. I must touch it. You and, can't and then, tell me. Oh. So anyway, so good. All that is to say, you don't have to take my word for any of this. Don't. Yeah. Study it yourself. But mo most importantly, the read the freaking Bible. Just read it. But not just one verse. No, read the whole damn thing. Yeah. And um, read the whole sweep of it. Even if you're so freaking lost, grab a study Bible and just look at the notes and, and, and just say, what is the, what is, what is the big concern in all of it? The concern is that Israel has been polluted like the nations have been polluted. And now God's project to redeem all humanity is in jeopardy. How yeah. will Yahweh return and restore his people? Yeah. And the answer to that is Jesus. And so when G rises from the dead in his crucifixion, he condemns the, the powers and authorities. He exhausts the, the consumptive power of, uh, of evil upon himself. He takes that upon himself. And then opens up new creation space or resurrection space or life in the age to come space or life in the spirit space. Those are all saying the same thing. And there, as a community, we engage in new creation practices and social patterns, right? To witness to the reality of the Lord Jesus and to anticipate what new creation is coming. So, of course, we deal with lust. And of course, right. we deal with money. And of course we deal with sex, but we don't deal with sex just announcing some new creation ethic into the void of old creation. That's not what we do. And 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 this, this is where we're going to camp a lot, Tim. And I said it earlier. 
the 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 temptation of the church is to use old creation dynamics to try to bring about new creation life so we use the dynamics of exclusion and shaming and guilt and inhospitality um inhospitality is that right um unhospitality i don't know um we use we use the the anger and condemnation we use the mechanics of the of this present evil age and then are shocked when wrath is brought into the church right and so i, I look at tim keller who's just been announcing the traditional sexual ethic into twitter and on the one hand, I'm seeing people who are like, dude, yeah, way to go. Way to stand up and be articulate and gracious. But then I'm like, okay, but what is that doing? Like, we're expecting old creation to look at that and see it in new creation ways. And I'm, I'm like, how, isn't that, isn't that kind of like, like, just expecting um, someone who was raised in American individualism to just all of a sudden wake up and understand what it is to be in China uh, under right. communist rule in a communal mindset. I mean, you just be like, what? No. So I don't know. I don't know. I just think it's fascinating. And Gombus, I mean, Gombus has introduced me to a whole world of thinkers and writers that, because I've, I've never, what I what I've never been able to do is put Paul and Jesus together in a way that tells the big story. Hmm. Um, I've always seen Paul, and I think this is true, I've always seen Paul as, as Gentileizing the Jewish announcement about the kingdom. And so instead of saying the kingdom is here, Paul will say Jesus is Lord. And his hmm. lordship is cross-shaped. And so that's how he'll tell the story. And I think that's absolutely true. But I've never, never been able to include powers and principalities and how the crucifixion and resurrection fit um into that whole story and i'm not saying i got it i'm just saying like over the last two three years this is the stuff i'm waking up to and i find it so liberating and terrifying because yes. for me sin when i confess sin now i'm not confessing hey god i lusted or i looked at porn or i overate I'm confessing, God, I opened myself up to an old creation dynamic that consumes itself. Yeah. That leads to destruction and um and that and that and that pulls me away from what it is to be fully human. Because to be fully human is to have a healthy relationship with sex and to have a healthy relationship with food and to have a healthy yeah. relationship with other people. Um yeah. and um and so I see it as much more formative than just an yeah. error in judgment. It's like, I'm being shaped into a certain kind exactly. of person. You know, and I don't want to be that kind of person. And so, yes, there are there are new creation practices, confession of sin, lament, uh, the, the walking in fellowship with brothers and sisters who are aware of weakness. See, that's um, the thing. That's what makes, I'm just sitting here thinking about sermons, even ones that I've just seen recently of, of the way that they present uh, sin and the damning aspects of it and it is and it's always in that old I ideology and and it's not framed in the fellowship and in the long the long walk it's a long right. road it's the long road it pro jam we all walk the long road nailed it all right gosh darn it that's <laughs> freaking plenty
So if you have questions, email Tim Stafford at uh, <laughs> timstafford.com. Yes, I have all, all the answers. Oh, Clearly. yes. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll have some more recommendations, but um, there was this big uh, to-do about this week about pastors plagiarizing other pastors. And um, I want you to know, and I've, I've said this like from the day I turned into whatever preacher. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever had original thoughts. Yeah. I don't know that I, I can always, always saying that I can, I can't, I can't always track them to their source, but right. I've given up thinking, Oh, this was new with me. Yeah. No, I may, I may package them, but yeah, nah, I, I, I just, I stand on the, um, in, in, I stand benefiting from so many men and women. Yeah. Um, and, uh, anyway, I, I was just mindful of that as I'm channeling all these various scholars that have been really influential, you know, to me that, um, cause, cause like I said, I don't, you don't have to buy this. You don't have to buy this cause I'm saying it. There are enough talking heads out right. there. They're better yeah. looking talking heads out there for sure. But if we can all be eternally curious about this stuff, I think that's a great yeah. thing. And a little, a little more wonder and awe. I think is really, I want to, I want to re, uh, what's the word? Um, I like that as a mission statement. You know, churches always have to have their quippy little like. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Mission statements. But I like the idea of fostering curiosity and wonder. Ooh, let's. As like a mission. Yeah. So, so Charles Taylor wrote a massive critique of um, the secular age. And he calls it an age of disenchantment. And disenchantment is where all of the beauty, the romance, the adventure, the mysticism has been sucked out of life, right? The enlightenment, the enlightenment hangover we still live in and the modern quest to understand and explain um, has sucked the magic, the enchantment out of life. Now, this is way totally. oversimplified. And, and I, I, I kind of want to re-enchant life. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I want to look We're out talking at the... about a heaven and an earth overlapping, right? And creating this new thing—that's beyond our imagination. Yeah. So you think the freaking wind whipping through pine trees, like, you, why is that awesome? Is that just you know? To me, I'm like, no, no. There's something that points to something. Yeah. You know what I mean? It all points to something. Yeah. So. I don't know. I just love that we get to be a part of a community that does this. So my friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his His face (laughs) shine upon you. That sounded really bad. The Lord make his face shine upon you. (laughs) May he be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you. And may he give you shalom in these days. Friends, thanks for tuning in for so freaking long. We'll be shorter next week. See ya. Nah. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxpodcast. 
You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash voxpodcast, on Instagram at voxpodcast, and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.